0: Welcome, it's indisputable, I'm your host, Rashad Richard. good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today, breaking down news of the day with me, none other than Yasmin Aliyah Khan, who is host Global Thread Podcast and the Breakdown contributor, always a fascinating analysis. Top story of the day, Donald Trump claims that Governor Ron Satan actually used to drink with underage girl when he was a high school teacher in the state of Georgia. The governor has responded to this. Let me give you the breakdown. Um, let me first start with the response. Here it is.
1: I spend my time delivering results for the people of Florida and fighting against Joe Biden. That's how I spend my time. I don't spend my time trying to smear other Republicans. Okay, but I do.
0: So let's put up the picture. All right. Now, everyone is well aware I am antithetical to the policy position of conservatives, but this is a different type of question. Now, granted, Donald Trump likely has similar issues in his background, but let's discuss the answer non answer given. DeSantis. You see the picture? What you're looking at is basically a meme. And yes, it is confirmed. The governor of Florida used to be a school teacher at a private institution in the state of Georgia. On Tuesday, Trump responded to two photos posted to Truth Social of a man posing with three women, with a caption claiming that it was of DeSantis grooming high school girls with alcohol as a teacher. That's not Ron, is it? He would never do such a thing, Trump responded. No way, he wrote under another post. Asked about Trump's attacks, the governor told reporters on Wednesday, I spend my time delivering results for the people of Florida and fighting against Joe Biden. I don't spend my time trying to smear other republicans. Now let me say this, it is really ironic obviously. That he did not answer the question as it was presented. He pivoted, something that seasoned politicians know how to do very well. The headline of the Hill reporter, this is an interesting dynamic. The article read, and I quote, exclusive pick: Ron DeSantis accused of attending drinking party with students at high school where he taught. According to the story, information about the photograph was provided to a Hill reporter by a source with close knowledge of the matter. While the article did say that the girls loved DeSantis, it made no direct claim or provided any evidence in regard to the idea he had been grooming them for sex. That specific claim appeared to have been born in the meme, which Trump later reshared. About a week ago, I did a commentary about the new opposition research firm that will engage against DeSantis due to. Trump. That is the plan. The plan is to have significant opposition research to go after people who Trump believes is a threat. So, this is part of it. Now, it doesn't mean that all of the opposition research is wrong or a lie. It does mean it has an agenda, but it doesn't mean it can't be true. All right, there's more. Uh, according to our whistleblower, DeSantis had a reputation among students for being a young, hot teacher, that's ironic, who girls love. And the girls in the photo were believed to have graduated in 2002, making them seniors at the time the story read. The reason why that's important is because they would have still been under the direct teaching guidance of Ron DeSantis, if true, all right? Now, let me switch gears for a moment. This. What I'm about to show you gives you a clear example that white males who pretend as if people like Marjorie Taylor Greene are normal. White conservatives who act as if we are not in the twilight zone. They are well aware exactly what has happened to their political structure known as the Republican Party. Sean Hannity could not answer a direct question from Geraldo.
2: Here it is. (laughs) <laughs> you're praising this speech, and you're talking, he was, he was coherent for the whole speech. Geraldo, that is hardly the standard. And by every objective measure, two-thirds of the country can't make ends meet, they live living paycheck to paycheck. That's two-thirds of the country. The average family household is now paying $10,000 because of Biden inflation. There's not one single thing you could really point to and say, wow, Joe really succeeded here, did he? Well, Sean, the first thing I'd like to start with is a question. Our friend Governor Sanders, the hit of the night, said the world is now divided Republican. It's not Republican, Democrat, right, left, red, blue anymore. It's normal and crazy, normal, crazy. So I wanna ask you, Sean, which side of that divide, normal, crazy, is Marjorie Taylor Greene? Is she the new normal? Because let if she l- is, l- let me the tell Republicans you what's crazy. are not gonna win gr- any more elections. I'll answer you asked the question. The Green New Deal radical socialists are absolutely insane, and there's no such thing as a moderate Democrat that exists in Washington or seemingly around the country. So yeah, I would say they're all crazy, those people that are making policy, that stop building the wall, that stop domestic energy production, those people that believe in defunding, dismantling the police, those people are crazy, yes, insane, out of their minds. So now it. Marjorie Taylor Greene will set the tone for the rest of us, that is- what that is our wife because she called out if a lot. I think the I'll midterm was Miller, a, was actually a, not disappointment a potted plant.
0: Because I'll let him respond. <laughs> oh, Sean Hannity, he decided to go to another panelist and allow somebody else to respond to a question he received. No, he's not willing to say Marjorie Taylor Greene is normal. Think about how ironic that is. That is basically the lowest are possible are they normal are they you know off their rocker so he understands clearly where the leadership of the party is currently and will he say anything to challenge the leadership inside of the republican party of course not he has no backbone all right my dear sister what are your thoughts here
3: oh <laughs> well, the question with this is, can DeSantis get away with the things that Trump regularly gets away with? I think we can acknowledge the hypocrisy of Trump calling DeSantis out for something like this, Uh, but in the past, Trump has been known to get away with things that other people just don't get away with or can't. He has said and done equally creepy things in the past, some during the time that he was actively running for president both times and millions of Americans still voted for him. He didn't win the popular vote either of those times, but millions of Americans were still willing and able to overlook his worst transgressions. Will they make the same concessions for DeSantis? I don't think we can really say at this point, but unfortunately for DeSantis, he doesn't have the same shield or aura that Trump has. Trump, he has his most ardent supporters literally thinking that he's some sort of divine being that was sent down from heaven to save America. And I don't really know how DeSantis can compete with something like that. And as far as Hannity goes, and you know, he did a good job of deflecting the question back to the left because. What Geraldo was asking him to do would have splintered the right. And Hannity can't acknowledge that someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene is quote unquote crazy because she is for better or for worse a major player in the modern GOP. If people like Geraldo don't like that and would prefer to see the GOP go in a different direction away from people like her, then I think it's good that he's voicing that concern on Fox News. But I don't think that someone like Sean Hannity is ready to align himself with that mission. Uh, This brand of GOP works for Hannity. He's not going to take it down.
4: Yeah, well said. All right, another tragic piece of information
0: from the death, the killing of Tyree Nichols. Now we know one of the officers charged with his murder texted five or six individuals the picture of Tyrese Nichols as he was laying there in front of him. Sparking question, if this was premeditated. I'm going to get to the bottom of some of the rumor mill and also provide context as to why questions loom. Let's do it this way, put up uh, the pictures full mass. This is a damn shame. Per this week's newly released documents, former officer Demetrius Haley, who was driving an unmarked car, wearing a black hoodie and also talking on his cell phone, forced Tyree Nichols from his car using profanity. And then pepper strip sprayed him in the eyes. Additionally, Officer Haley never explained why Nichols was being stopped, why he pulled him over, nor that Nichols was under arrest and his body cam wasn't even on. So let me pause on this moment. They do have a mandate, a policy. To have their body cameras working okay the scorpion unit has that as a protocol mandate they also have a protocol mandate to report other officers who engage in criminal activity that did not happen either there's another dynamic here worth noting the day we received the police report called the narrative the day we received that it told us that they actually engaged and observed Mr. Nichols the day before, recklessly driving. And that was the reason they decided to engage him on that particular night. Why did they say this? They said this in order to create a false narrative so that contact, adverse contact would be justified. Because they knew nothing he did that day would justify their contact. Even the police chief went on national news and said, We do not see any reason that he was pulled over. Nothing in the record reflects a prerequisite to pull him over. There's more. Um, In the newly released documents, police officials say Mr. Haley, the cop, admitted to sending a photograph of Mr. Nichols to at least five people, including two. Fellow officers, a civilian employee of the department, and a female acquaintance. A sixth person also received the photo, the records state. Prior to releasing documents confirming Officer Haley took photos, speculation rose among people online questioning if one of the officers indeed took photos. Now, other people are beginning to draw unconfirmed connections. Between Officer Haley, Nichols, and one of the recipients of the photos. Now, why are people drawing conclusions? They're drawing conclusions because there's a lack of transparency. Remember when the chief came out and said they were going to be transparent with us? Well, we're finding these things out through open records requests. No one is coming to a press conference saying, hey, Here's everything up front, here's all the information, and we're being transparent. No, we're finding out about it after the fact, through other means, not by way of the engaged governmental system known as the police department. As they promised, they have broken their promise. They're not being transparent. There's more. Uh, Turns out, Tyree Nichols, uh, this is coming from Facebook. Turns out, Tyree Nichols worked at FedEx. And Demetrius Haley's ex and mother of his child worked at FedEx. Demetrius took a picture of Tyree on the ground and sent it to his ex. All the officers involved went out bad over this man's personal issue. I saw that post as well. I refused to repost it because it was unconfirmed. And I'm still not going to repost it. But I do call on the Memphis police to be transparent about who received those text messages. Let me tell you why. If those pictures of Mr. Tyree Nichols went out without any context, meaning no text message context, there was no additional content other than the picture. That would indicate, ladies and gentlemen, that would indicate that the people he sent the picture to, that they were aware of why they were receiving it. If there's no text message information, no word, no explanation. Nothing. It's a strong indication that somehow this may have been actually premeditated. Now, is that based on some additional information? No, that's why I'm calling on the Memphis PD to be straight up with us. This is not the activity of a person who believes they have done something legal. This is obviously a criminal act, another dynamic that's involved, the Skycam video. The officers were aware of the Skycam video watching them. Why? Because that's their beat. Every officer that I've spoken with said they know exactly where all city cameras are located. Because when something goes down, they need to know what cameras to request footage from. They did all of this directly in front of the camera that they knew was there. Another question that comes from that, either these individuals are extremely extremely careless, or they operate in a particular privilege, given the fact that they think they are going to be protected. Protected by who? Well, whoever is in charge of their camera system. Let's put up this picture. Charges against the other officers include they misled officials about what happened. Emmett Martin III, for instance, claimed Nichols tried to snatch his gun from his holster after Officer Haley pulled him out of the vehicle. With Martin helping by grabbing Nichols wrist. However, the video does not support his police report. All five also were faulted for violating rules on body camera usage. Either by not having them on the whole time or by taking off their vest with cameras attached, the documents said. My question is, do you believe it is the first time they turned off the body cameras? Do you think it's the first time they decided to not allow them to watch what they were doing? Of course not. And the reality is this is not going to stop until cops are prosecuted when they do things like that. You see that's tampering with evidence if you are literally doing it so that you can protect yourself from criminal prosecution. All right, what are your thoughts here?
3: Yeah, something that these stories always highlights to me is how politicized everything has become. In this case, as far as we know, a citizen was literally not doing anything wrong, but he was beaten to death by cops who were out of uniform, driving an unmarked car and not following any kind of expected protocol, right? Still, there are people out there who will try their hardest to justify the actions of these cops and others like them. This particular case is a little bit different because for one, the cops were black, so that removes some of the usual rhetoric out of this conversation. And two, the cops involved were not only fired, but they were charged with murder. That said, this was an extreme situation even within the realm of police brutality and it was captured on film. So even if you're trying to find some way of defending cops here, it's hard to do. My point is that things should not have had to get this bad for people to start to realize that being against police brutality is about preserving and respecting humanity. It's not about a political agenda, it's about what's right and wrong. And it's sad that something so simple and so elementary as that is politicized to the point that whenever we hear stories like this, many people's first reaction is to look for ways to justify something like police brutality.
4: Well said. All right, racism
0: right in your face. Let me go to the video first. Here it is. Illegals
4: living here? Get out, you're a bunch of illegals. You don't belong in America. Property, get out. You're not American. Get off of my property. You're not American. Get off my property. Did you have something to do with nine eleven, 11 off? Can you get out? You're not American. Get off my property. Get away with it because I'm American. It's my property.
2: Okay, then give me your full name.
4: Go for it, bitch. Show me some illegal paperwork because I know you didn't buy this house. You don't have enough money. Get off my property. It's Mike and Leslie, your real estate agent, American citizen, angry at you.
0: Put up the picture full of masks. Who are you looking at? Well, she's 54 years of age, lives in St. Louis. Her name is Judy. Judy Klein. Judy Klein, according to the family, terrorized the Serez family for more than a year, claiming their house was hers. Property records show the home was owned by apparent relatives of hers until about 30 years ago. Okay. Finally, a warrant has been issued for her arrest on charges of first degree burglary first-degree property damage, and unlawful use of a weapon, which are all felony charges. When she is arrested, she will not be eligible for bond. Let's go to one of the victims. 22-year-old Fatima said Klein initially broke into her parents' home with a hammer on January 5th, 2022, and thereafter harassed them At their Princeton Heights home, at least six different occasions. All right. So the parents and five year old sister live at the house on Lissette Avenue. Said Tuesday she was frustrated that even after three prior arrests, it took a viral video to get authorities' attention. And an admission from the St. Louis Circuit Attorney's Office that a warrant for the woman's arrest had set unresolved for more than a year in a drop-off box containing warrants for non-violent crimes. Circuit attorney, let's put her up, Kim Gardner. Kim Gardner's office said Tuesday they elevated the application for an immediate review. Police applied for warrants in January 2022 after the break-in, but put the application in what's called a drop-off box for non-violent crimes. Spokeswoman Elisa Hawk said, police have discretion to flag warrants, In nonviolent crimes, so they can be reviewed within 24 hours, but did not do so, she said. Asked why it took more than a year to review the case. Hawk said the office prioritizes violent crimes and reviews other cases on a rolling basis. So, someone who either A, breaks into your home, attempts to break into your home, threatens to do things to you at your home, all of a sudden, those things are not serious crimes. How in the hell? Did their explanation even make sense? It did not. There's more. All right. Um, so the parents give you some background. The parents, originally from Mexico, brought, uh, bought and moved into the same home on LaSalle Street six years ago. Things were fine until that day in January. She said when her father and sister were in or on the uh, first floor, or in the first floor living room, and heard what sounded to be a window breaking in the basement. That's A hell of a situation, right? Her father rushed to the basement door and found Miss Klein with a hammer walking up the stairs. He slammed the door and locked it shut. Klein then left the basement and went around to the front door, where the family's ring camera caught her beating the door with a hammer. What do you think the intention was? You break into somebody's home with a hammer. You are literally walking up stairs getting from the basement to the living room with a hammer. What do you believe the person wanted to do? Definitely not have tea. This is a violent act. All of us would agree. Nobody would say, hey, put this in the drop off box for nonviolent offenders. After the break in, in March, in March, Ms. Klein was arrested, okay, after she stole mail from the house and attacked Ceres and her husband when they confronted her. Once again, another violent crime. Another 10 months went by before Ms. Klein returned in December. On two occasions, at one point, sitting outside the home for hours overnight. (laughs) She last returned on the 1st of February, knocking on the door again, before apparently trying to pick the lock. It should not take this much. You have a racist white female who decides to engage in what I consider to be domestic terrorism. It's my opinion, against an entire family. And it took a video going viral before the authorities actually decided to engage in an appropriate manner to attempt to remedy the threat against this family. Now, do you think the dynamics of race play a part of this? Maybe the perception of status or the importance or lack of importance when it comes to race based violence. Let me ask it another way. Let's say this was a white family. Let's say a black woman decided to take a hammer, to break in their basement window, and to charge one of the members of that household with a hammer, and then leave out. Go to the front door and attempt to break in with the hammer at the front door. Do you believe it would have taken this much for that white family in my make believe story to receive justice and protection? All right, thoughts.
3: Yeah, uh, this one's hard, people are really losing it. And if you turn on certain news programs or if you go to certain pockets of the internet, you kind of start to see how it's happening and why it's happening, right? The outrage machine is well oiled and it's functioning just as it is intended to. Outrage leads to clicks, outrage drives Mm. revenue, outrage is very, very profitable. Meanwhile, incidents like this are taking place in the real world between real people. And when we report on things like this on stories like this one, we can kind of pick it apart and get all the details of this story. But that sort of implies that this is something that can be resolved between the two parties or maybe uh, with the authorities involved, right? The reality of it is that this incident is a symptom of a much larger and much more far reaching problem. And we're not gonna stop hearing stories like this unless we address the things that are causing people to behave like this woman, right? People are scared of things that they shouldn't be scared of. They're being told that there are no good solutions to things. And they're essentially being harassed with images and stories that are bad for their mental health. It's a lot to ask of the average person. So it shouldn't be surprising that we're seeing stories of people breaking this way.
0: Yeah, all right, we got more
4: on the other side is indisputable stick and stay. You're on. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show now. We got some comments.
0: I'm kind of pressed for time. I will read as many as I can. The watch list, don't forget the big homie, Jared Jackson. Make sure you tune in. We got a new time now for the watch list, all right? Weekdays live, 5 p.m. Eastern time, 2 p.m. Pacific time. Jr. takes action on stories relevant. To us, news, politics, culture, current events, sports, and more. Make sure you subscribe, youtube.com forward slash watchlisttyt, amazing program. Let me read some of these comments. Uh, Mika C, the silver-haired dragon says, this coming from the uh, pedo who owned the Miss Teen America pageant and bragged about going into the dressing room and described the naked and half-naked bodies of the teens. And he did so as if it was a right to do because he owned the contest. That's exactly correct. That is right. It came from that same guy. Yeah, the two top contenders for president in the Republican Party. Mo Fury, until they are forced, all police departments will purposely, purposefully replace the definition of transparent with that of the definition for translucent. Fate switch, boom. I agree. Moon Dragon, thank you for that. Moon Dragon, uh, Yaz and Dr. Richie are my favorite combo. Love you both, and we love you back. Moon Dragon, thank you for that. Tim Jenkins, thank you for that. Tim, uh, just sent you a DM on Twitter and IG regarding an abusive cop and no accountability. No need to read it. Oh, you already I already read it. Okay, here's what you do. Go to uh, indisputable at tyt, indisputable at tyt. We have the graphic. Let's put it up if we, if we have it. Uh, but email us at indisputable at TYT. All right. Make sure that email gets to me. That's how we take care of these stories, all right? Okay. Um, Donald James X, member for eight months, Indisputable. Thank you so much for that. Ron DeSuck as was the cool teacher. Question mark. He taught his students how to shoot gun, shotgun a beer. That's what he said. Shotgun a beer. I hope not, man. Damn. Uh, Lobo at water. Welcome to Indisputable. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would
4: You wanna call the police on him for having a barbecue on a you Sunday? You're not
3: you. right. Back off. I'm gonna tell you there's an African American man threatening
0: my life. She is on the phone with nine one one right now. Look at her. She said I just threatened her. What threat what, what threat did I make towards you?
2: I'm Elizabeth.
0: What threat did I make
1: towards you, ma'am? Huh? <sighs> this is crazy. I've never. I me- already knew.
0: I already knew what it was when I first got here, though.
2: He or she is one minute later trying to sound distressed so the police can come please. quicker. <laughs> please, please. I'm so no.
4: What?
0: What in the world is this, boy, I ain't gonna lie. I've never in my life had to deal with no like this, never in my life. (laughs) Let's put the picture up. Now I'm going to explain a perspective that typically is lost when videos like this present themselves. This is one of the scariest positions for a black male to be in, to have someone like this person uh, cry and act distressed when according to him there was no reason to. He provided no threat, he engaged in no criminality. But every black man in America is aware of the weaponization of tears, of white tears in particular. We are aware of what that narrative can do. See what you just saw was a life and death situation. Please understand what you just saw was a life or death situation. You get a particular cop who responds after dispatch says, woman in distress has been threatened by young African American male, He may be armed, we don't know, he's aggressive, she's crying. Now the cop is amped up. He comes to the scene, him and his partner maybe, guns blazing over a lie. Over something that's untrue according to the poster. Now, I know we typically will um, attempt to say something comedic about a Karen. has no comedic value, none, this is dangerous. And why did she do it? Why is it that typically individuals who feel as if they need to bolster their story, why do they do this? We saw it with Central Park, Karen, we've seen it many times before. Because usually the police work hand in glove with that kind of 911 call. They will back the play for you. All right, this sister thoughts on this.
3: Yeah, this woman is really going out of her way to be hateful and disruptive, right? I think the thing that that bugs me with stories like this is that this woman clearly has some things within her that she needs to address, but she's not gonna. And now whatever she's dealing with is this man's problem and it shouldn't be, it never should have been his problem. His composure under these circumstances is very impressive, I will say. And it's more than I probably would have been able to muster. But I'm sure he knows that he has much more at stake if he would have reacted any more than he actually did.
4: Yep, yep, that's right. A very sad situation, what you are about to see is disturbing. Here it is, you're a black girl. You know you're- Your mom is
5: never letting
4: anyone in. You're nothing but a slave. <laughs> and
2: after this, she's doing my
5: laundry. My son just takes
2: this.
4: <laughs> <out>. sh**, <laughs> I'm, black and I'm brown.
0: These are high school. Children, acting this way. Let's put up the picture, Um, they were derogatory about Black History Month. Made fun and mockery of slavery. And I want to say this to every single one of you. Your parents have failed you, your institutions have failed you. Now, maybe there's still hope for you. You can possibly overcome the immaturity of your youth. But that kind of insensitivity is learned. That kind of racism is not natural. The fallout at St Hubert Catholic School for girls in Philadelphia neighborhood of Holmesburg picked up on Wednesday following a racist video that shows students in blackface and circulated on social media the day before. Two parents of former students went public with stories of harassment their children faced at the school in recent years. And the school switched to flexible instruction with students completing coursework at home after reactionary general threats were made, according to administrators. At the advice of the Philadelphia Police Department, St. Hubers also canceled extracurricular activities on the campus for the remainder of the week. The video at the heart of the backlash shows several white teen girls with one spray painting the face of another with a dark color and yelling "Know your roots" and "It's February and you're not and you're nothing but a slave." The girl with the black face then declares, "I'm black and I'm proud," of the girls present laugh throughout the entire video. In a Facebook post Tuesday, leaders of Saint Hubert said they were aware of the video and were investigating. The quote is, "All those responsible will be disciplined appropriately in accordance with our school handbook." They said. So, really, you all have a handbook procedure for this? Okay, good. Can I see it? By students, excuse me. By Wednesday, the Archdiocese of Philadelphia said the two. Students allegedly responsible for the video are not present in school and are not being disciplined appropriately and are, excuse me, being disciplined appropriately, though they would not offer specifics, no details available. They also said one of the girls is from a non-Catholic high school in Philadelphia. Oh, my goodness, that's what it was. I mean, that was really important for the preacher to tell you. Just so you know one of them they are. Uh, they weren't Catholic. Protesters at St. Hubert's on Wednesday morning. These protesters said the video wasn't an outlier. At least two parents in attendance said their children who were formally enrolled at that same school faced a hostile and unwelcoming climate because they were black. Both parents said they withdrew their child after the harassment became too much to bear. Um, Once again, it's pretty typical, right? We see something like this, it expresses itself through the permeation of social media. And as it expresses itself, the institution wants you to believe this is an isolated incident. This does not represent our values. We have no idea how this happened. This is shocking to everybody here. And then black parents come out and say, "Well, wait a minute. We had the same issue with you last month or we had the same issue with you last year. It was so extreme, we had to pull our own children out of the Catholic institution because of this issue. Now, will there be legislation proposed? No. Will there be a new policy dynamic? No. What will happen? Nothing. Nothing. The reality is these things exist, and they exist typically in silos. We don't hear about them much until it goes viral. But when it goes viral, what happens? Everyone acts as if this is uncommon. But then the individuals who have experienced the adverse impact of racism. They come out and tell the true story. All right, Fauci here.
3: Yeah, honestly, I don't know why blackface still happens, even if you're a racist. And even if you think that you have a right to express yourself, including your racism, you have to know that it's not going to end well for you. But whenever I see racism to this degree in young people, it's like what you said. It just feels so incredibly unnatural to me. I mean, Racism in general is unnatural, but in young people specifically, you know that they're being taught how to be racist either at home or at school or maybe in online circles and communities. This is why education is so important and this is why it's so important to not only study. Black history, specifically American black history, but also black literature, black Mm -hmm. contributions to math and science, etc. Acts like this are so incredibly dehumanizing to the black community. But it's much easier to dehumanize people that you don't know anything about, right? It's much harder to feel empathy for people when you don't know anything about them or their culture or their history. And I think it's safe to say that these students are not getting the education or the guidance that they need to be less racist than they already are. it's really sad and you know, not being this actively racist is easier than being racist.
0: Yeah, insanity.
4: All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. A lot of show left, uh, spin the wheel, all right? Don't forget
0: about spin the wheel. You can win some stuff, some cool stuff. That was a great time to become a member because you can sign up for annual membership right now and you can get to spin the wheel. We end up to $100 in prizes. Check it out at tyt.com forward slash spin. When you join as an annual member, you get to spin the wheel to win awesome prizes like the Canvas 2024T, a $100 gift card to Blue Apron and so much more. I want you to check it out tytcom forward slash spin or scan the QR code, go ahead and get started right away. All right, a lot of comments, let's get it. Old Jam, I like that, says at this point, Karen here knows that a call like that can be used to justify deadly force against black men. No chance she doesn't know that, she should be arrested for this. That's right, and that's why literally you have jurisdictions that have passed anti-Karen laws. And these anti Karen laws basically are laws that will penalize you for making a false 911 call. Well, it is ironic because making a false 911 call is already illegal. I am Sock says all Karens have a button they can press that cranks up the pitch of their voice instantly. Seems that way. Cena um, Hogaboom. I guess they teach CRT, controlled racist thought, wow. Stop Dragon says Catholic schools discipline in house to keep tuitions in house. Robin Rouse, thank you for that, Ms. Robin. Says, Dr. Richie, you're the best thing to happen to social media. I appreciate you saying that. A lot of people would disagree, madam, but thank you. I accept it every compliment I can. I appreciate you. Lobo at Water, welcome to Indisputable. Thank you for your support. And let's go to Twitch Hyphen 8. Hyphen 8. That's clever how you did that, I like it. Should sue her for trying to get him killed, damn right, absolutely. Um, we, need, we need a police report the other way, now I need to report a false report. Okay, yes yeah, here, Mississippi passing legislation to create a court system to govern only white people. Let's put up the picture here. That is the illustrious capital. This is where all of the legislation gets dealt with. A white supermajority of the Mississippi House voted to create a separate court system and expanded police power inside of the blackest major city in the United States of America. The city of Jackson, Mississippi. This new court system and this police takeover would be orchestrated by a completely white panel of state officials. It is called House Bill 1020. If House Bill 1020 becomes law later this session, which by the way, many are predicting it will, the white Chief Justice. Of the Mississippi Supreme Court would be able to appoint two judges to oversee a new district within the city. (laughs) Now watch how they're doing it. This new city, one that includes all of the city's major white communities, among other areas. Uh, This white city or the white state attorney, uh, attorney general, would appoint four prosecutors to this new dynamic within the city, a court clerk would be appointed as well to govern the white members of the Jackson community, and four public defenders would be available for the white members of this new dynamic. The white state public safety commission would oversee an expanded capital police force, run currently by a white chief of police inside of the black city, taken away there. Authority as a city government. There's more. After thorough and passionate dissent from black members of the house. The bill passed 76 to 38, 76 to 38 primarily along party lines. The bill would double the funding for the district to $20 million in order to increase the size of the existing Capitol Police Force. The new court system laid out in House Bill 1020 is estimated to cost $1.6 million annually. I'm gonna help you get to the bottom of why this is even a thing, okay? Okay, let me help you out here. You got two black members of the House, Representative Cedric, Sellout Burnett, a Democrat from Tanisha, and Angela Cockerham, an independent from Mongolia. They voted for the measure. Now, why do you think they voted for the measure? Who the hell knows? Maybe they were promised something. But all but one lawmaker represented the city of Jackson. Representative Shonda Yates, an independent, actually opposed the bill. The bill was authored by Republican Representative Trey Lamar. He's on the left. It was sent to Lamar's committee by Speaker Philip Gunn on the right. Instead of sending it to the House Judiciary Committee where it was supposed to go. They decided it would have a better outcome in another committee. Many House members, who represent Jackson on Tuesday, said they were never consulted by House leadership about the bill. Much of the debate centered around the issue of creating a court where the black majority in Hans County would not be allowed to vote on judges. When asked why he could not add more elected judges to Hans County rather than appointed judges to the new district, Lamar said, this is the bill that is before the body, we're gonna vote on it. Listen." Please understand what they're doing. Jackson is roughly 80 to 83% African American. But very prominent white people do live in Jackson, including statewide elected officials. The white legislative body, the primarily white legislative body, they have to govern from Jackson. That is the location of all of their legislative everything. So, what are they really saying? They're saying they do not want to be governed by black people. And so they're creating a district inside of the city that will have a different standard of operation, a different court system, and a different police force than anywhere else in Jackson, Mississippi. This was actually a thing back in the 60s. I remember when the documentary of the Atlanta Police Force was shown that it highlighted how black cops were not allowed to arrest white people. They were not allowed to go to the precinct, they had to stay at the local YMCA. They were not allowed to stare at white women. They had a badge, they had a uniform, some of them even had a gun. But culturally, they were not to engage nor govern the actions of white citizens. Even back then, none of that was codified into law. It was simply understood culturally. Literally, you have a reverse of that. It is now going to be codified in law if it is signed. My dear sister, what are your thoughts on this?
3: You know, we've always heard that there are two justice systems in this country. You know, we're not all playing by the same rules and we're not all being governed by the same set of rules. Mississippi already has a less than stellar reputation, to put it nicely, in this country. And it's clear that they take pride in their racist past and their racist present. And they seem adamant to ensure that Mississippi has a racist future. You know, This is a case of a minority governing a majority. And whenever that happens, you tend to see really oppressive measures of governance put in place. If they don't have the majority on their side, they have to find ways to pacify and manage and control that majority. And that includes stifling their voices within the community and essentially taking away their rights. And the thing with laws is that there are always loopholes whenever somebody, whatever somebody Wants to happen usually can be made to happen within those laws. Or in some cases, you you see things happen outside of the law. But if there's no oversight or no meaningful opposition, then who cares? Do whatever you want.
0: Yeah. So we will obviously follow this story. This is, once again, one of those places where likely it is going to act as a
4: first of many. Okay. So we have to pay attention to something like this. There's a man, he gets shot by the cops going to clean, to clean
0: his dead grandmother's home. Put up his picture full mask. Completely avoidable. Could have ended differently, for sure. Ohio, 26-year-old Joe Frazier, was shot by the police who believed he was a burglary suspect when in actuality he was simply cleaning out his late grandmother's home he would later die the hospital i'm going to give you the chilling background to this police encounter wyoming ohio police said officers responded to an apartment building on the 300 block of Dural Avenue shortly before 1 a.m. For a report that two to three people were trying to break into a residence. The 911 caller said the apartment should have been vacant. Responding officers heard activity at the rear of of the building and encountered Frazier and his father in the rear driveway. Let's put the police chief up, okay? Her name is Chief Brooke Brady claimed that Frazier was in a minivan and refused commands to exit. Let me read this statement from the chief. The minivan reversed at a high rate of speed before hitting a tree at which the point the vehicle accelerated rapidly at our officers, she said. The officers fired four shots at the minivan, as the minivan was accelerating towards them. With the vehicle smoking and the engine still running, our officers forced their way into the minivan and pulled Mr. Frazier from it. They then provided life saving care and he was transported to university hospital. His cause and manner of death have not been released. Uh, He was 28, excuse me, he was 28 years of age. Uh, his, His manner of death was what the police did, there's more. Frazier's family has disputed that entire police account saying, Frazier was not a burglary suspect. Rather, they say he and his father had been cleaning out an apartment His grandmother lived in before she recently died. NBC affiliate WLWT of Cincinnati reported his sister Shonda Coleman told the station and I quote, I didn't hear none of that. I didn't hear no commands. All I heard was pop, 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 pop. Like it was like 10 rounds. Wyoming Wyoming police are cooperating with the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office and the Hamilton County Prosecutor's Office in the investigation and review. Prosecutor Missy Powers will decide if any charges will be filed against the officers who fired their weapons. Now listen, we're not the court of law here, we are the court of public opinion. He was not at that home burglarizing anybody. So does it make sense all of a sudden an individual who is still grieving the loss of his beloved grandmother? going to her house, going to her apartment to clean it up. Because this is what a dutiful family member does. All of a sudden, he wants to now kill the police. Does this make sense to you? And then the chief coming out with a statement absent of facts. How can you oversee an investigation when you have already concluded chief that your officers were justified absent of actual evidence? There is no way this department nor the county sheriff's office should be in charge of this case. The reason is because too many damn cops work for the divisions, the police department, the sheriff's department, and they have variations of coordinated events and operations, etc. The friends, friends should not investigate friends, it's real simple. So this is one of the most um, extreme things I could think of happening to somebody who's mourning the death of their grandmother. And then the police department comes out with a contrary narrative based on the family's sentiment expressed. But this is why it's important to say something, to always speak up because when they're knocking on your neighbor's door, if we don't say anything, they will eventually knock on yours. And this is why our coalition is better together than separate. We all lose when there's police misconduct, we all lose. when There's an incident like this that leads to the death of a man who should be alive. We all lose. All right, Jordan thoughts here.
5: This is tragic I hope that people in that community that it's a rural community north of Cincinnati predominantly white I hope people wake up I hope it it activates a new sense of justice and fairness within them it's unfortunate that sometimes these instances are what it takes for people to finally recognize systemic problems when it affects them or someone around them but also, It underscores this issue that I've had a problem with for a while. This kind of suburban panopticon where everyone feels like they're just cop or detective adjacent. Where these busybody suburbanites are spying on their neighbors or watching their neighbors posting on next door about suspicious activity and watching their ring camera footage and everything is nefarious. And they live these paranoid lives where they're deeply suspicious of their neighbors. That is so unhealthy Mm -hmm. and it leads to moments and instances like this, where someone is cleaning out a late relatives apartment and they have the police called on them and then they're killed. Like this, yeah. this should not happen. Just mind your own business and let people live their lives. It's so simple. Somebody is dead
0: now. You gotta think about this, dear brother. They just laid to rest the grandmother. Now they are laying to rest the grandson. This should not be. We were We will bring you updates as they come with this
4: story. We do not know if these cops will be charged. All right, a police officer now charged decided to simply shoot
0: a black man running. Here's the video.
2: Everything's good. Yeah, I got the weapon right here. Oh, good Yo, shots fired. Yeah. Shots fired, good job, fired. Guys. Shots guys. Shots fired. Shots fired on Mamarian.
0: He had no gun. There was no reason for the cop to believe it. Let's put the picture of the carnage created by this officer. Officer Jerry Morovic of the Patterson Police Department has now been charged with second-degree aggravated assault and second-degree official misconduct for shooting 28 year old Khalif Cooper in the back. Cooper was left with bullet fragments in his spine and is paralyzed right now. The cop is facing 10 years behind bars for each charge if he is convicted. Let me give you background. Moravec arrived on the scene and told everyone that they needed to leave Due to a noise complaint. He's heard speaking with another officer regarding a suspect with a gun. Moments later, gunfire is heard from a distance. After the cops saw Cooper running in the opposite direction from the sound of gunfire, he changed course and began chasing Cooper before he shot him in the back. Please understand, the brother is running because he heard the gunshot too. So he's running, he doesn't want to be shot by whoever is shooting in that location. It is the most normative thing a human being can do, is to try to get the hell away from gunfire, self-preservation. Cooper is heard repeatedly telling the officer that he did not have a gun as he laid face down on the ground after being shot. I don't got no gun, I don't got no gun. He said, as the cop yelled, turn around. After he handcuffed Cooper, the officer asked him, why did you run from me? Cooper says, I was scared, but I don't got no gun, though. Put up the leadership. The city's mayor, Andre Saeed, released a statement defending the police officer and claimed that the officer was following the guideline. However, the Attorney General, Matthew Platkin, said that the officer did in fact violate the state's use of force policies. And he didn't give a damn what the mayor said, he charged his ass. That's called leadership. Now, this man is paralyzed, and if it had not been for the Attorney General, there would be no justice for him if it wasn't for the current Attorney General. That local jurisdiction would have said, mm. "That's unfortunate, but not really a crime." Leadership matters. Policy matters. People who implement policy matter. All right. This is the thoughts here.
3: Yeah. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Who is in charge here? Is it these cops? These cops? have no business being in charge of any kind of tense situation. And they have no business carrying lethal force, right? He shot a man in the back and paralyzed him. He was running away from him. He wasn't actively threatening the cop and now he's paralyzed. Yeah, I'm glad that this cop was charged for the shooting despite what the mayor said in his defense of the cop. But this never should have happened in the first place, right? People are just trying to live their lives and they're being held to unrealistic standards that no one would be able to meet. Running away from gunshots is not an offense, it's a normal human behavior. That's
0: it. Well said. Always a pleasure dear sister, having you on the program. Tell people they can follow you. Check out your great work.
3: Yeah, you can find me on the breakdown on YouTube and on Facebook. And if you can, if you want to follow me, you can do so on Instagram and TikTok. The handle is yeah at Yazk Y A Z Z Z Z Z -Z 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 K five Zs.
0: Always a pleasure. All right,
4: until next time, ladies and gentlemen, stick and stay. The bullpen is next. All right, let's get it, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the
0: bullpen. In the bullpen today, my dear brother from another mother, we have been jealous, who was the youngest person to serve as the national president and CEO, of the NAACP. He has a new book. His book yeah. Never Forget Our People Were Always Free. A scholar a lecturer, an individual who has significant insight, Ben Jealous. Good day dear brother, welcome.
1: Hey, Dr. Richards. good to be with you, sir.
0: Always good to be with you, my friend. Uh, First, let's talk about this book. What does this book say and what message is it supposed to push?
1: The message I want everybody to walk away with is that we can actually build a nation beyond racism. (laughs) That we should be optimistic about the future of this country. It'll take hard work, but we can get this country to that better day that Dr. King saw and frankly that Frederick Douglass saw before him. You know, you taught me
0: something a while ago, man, and you and I chopped it up. And you said, you know, there's an aggression factor. And we were contextualizing it through the industry of policing. And you said, if a person has an aggression factor of, let's say, nine out of a 10 point scale, uh, but they have a racist factor of, let's say, um, you know, um, maybe five or four. The aggression factor will lead that individual typically to an adverse interaction with the civilian. But if it's the other way around, if they have a racism factor of, let's say, nine, but an aggression factor of two, typically you will not see an expression of violence against the civilian. You taught me that and those numbers actually pan out. Um, I was fascinated by that because I do realize the context in which it's presented. And it taught me something new about the dynamics of race and culture and how it interplays in uh, you know, certain industries like policing. You have a very hopeful point of view uh, and I'm hopeful too my dear brother. I may not be as as enthusiastic as you are and believing in the powers that be. But I am a hopeful guy. I would prefer to draw circles, being rather than draw lines. And that has been your leadership style since day one. So let's talk about the realities of our bias and prejudice. The dysfunctions in our societal construct. How do we fix them, brother? We
1: have to understand how things were when they started and what that says about where we're headed. I was taught politics 101 by Charles V. Hamilton. He was the co-author of Black Power. And he was also the first tenured Black political scientist at Columbia University. And he would say something that my grandma, my grandma very much is the inspiration for this book. The quixotic title comes from something that she used to say. But he said something that I'd only heard my grandmother say before him, which was never forget Before there were slave rebellions, there were colonial rebellions. And and what he was talking about was that in the beginning, like in the 1600s in Virginia, when you saw rebellions against the colonial government, it was European indentured servants and African enslaved people rising up together. And the question is, um, You know, how did that stop, if you will? Why did it stop? The answer is, well, the first they tried the military, and they didn't quite stop the rebellions. And then they tried new laws about race and differentiating the two groups. Didn't quite stop the rebellions. All through that period, by the way, slaves were categorized as people, even in the slave roles. But then in the early 1700s, something shifts. The definition of the word race shifts. And it goes from meaning tribe to to being this pseudoscientific theory that there are multiple human races. That's why people like me are called mulattoes. But you know, mules can't have kids, but I got two, And so in other words, when, when the military new laws didn't work, they reach for the culture and they tried to change the culture and create this notion that our people were subhuman. And therefore, poor white folks who just stay away from us. We didn't want to be associated with us and our subhuman selves. Well, that worked better to split the two groups. The, but why is that important? Because Charles Hamilton was saying, man, politics is a lot like physics. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And something in motion will return to its original state. And what he was trying to teach us was that where a country is ultimately headed, is back towards rebellions, if you will, towards a politics in which the welfare of everybody's children is more important than our colors. And and that's what was happening in the beginning. Those rebellions were fundamentally about uh, indentured servants and African enslaved people's fears about what was gonna happen to their children. Uh, And they came together across those lines in the interest of all their kids. Let's talk about your grandmother. Um, you highlight
0: your grandmother being uh, a remarkable influence. Tell me how those lessons contributed to the right now book we're discussing.
4: Well, you know, she,
1: she was dying chronologically brother, she was 103 I knew she wasn't gonna mm. live forever. And so I needed to get her stories down and I needed to sort through the mysteries she was leaving us. And the big one was she kept saying never forget our people were always free. And well, three of her grandparents were born into slavery and the fourth one according to her own sister. Was likely a rapist. So it was like, what? who was free, grandma, the rapist? <laughs> you know. And, um, and so we interrogated it. Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. at Harvard helped me out. It took him two years with my DNA. And what we figured out, brother, was that our female Kunta Kente, the first woman to come over on the maternal line from Africa, was an, a woman who had been a pirate in Madagascar. How we figured that all out is in the book, but that's the bottom line. And and what else would a pirate woman say to her children and grandchildren born into slavery, but never forget our people were always free. And while as that passed down the the line, people forgot her. They forgot where we were from, they forgot even when those words made sense. Those words inspired a sense of rebellion amongst the women in my family. And they kept repeating it because they knew how it made them feel. And it knew how it changed their children's perception of what the destiny of our people needed to be. Mm. Um, and so with the help of psychologists and historians, I figured that all out. Um, but that's, that's where the title came from. And that's the way that grandma really you know, kind of got me going with this book. Was giving me something I just couldn't understand, but I had to figure out.
0: You, know, you highlight the reality of structural racism. Uh, And a lot of our fight is to deconstruct the construction that has created destruction in our structural reality. And in the midst of that, critical race theory comes into play. What you're talking about is a deconstruction model, right? Critical race theory literally tells us that race is a created construct. And that created construct has real social outcomes. Um, and you are basically showing without saying CRT, which has become a negative somehow, I don't know, but you are showing the reality of our human dynamic and the connections of our human dynamic. And to get back to that overall connection, you have to be intentional about the deconstruction of these patterns, these social influences, and these norms we have accepted as reality. We have to actively fight against those in order to get back to the human dynamic, is that a proper proclamation?
1: Absolutely. I think storytelling is always the most effective way to communicate, and so I use stories. You know, the um, you and I are both orators and rhetoricians. We use the word, yes. you know, we use the words precisely. Let's just agree that critical race theory is like the Neapolitan ice cream of scary words. Like <laughs> critical race theory, all scare people for different reasons. You put them all together. It's not hard to imagine why the right wing might be able to do something. But the intention of people like Derek Bell or Andrew Hacker over the years was just to get us to stop for a second and think about what is this game that we're all a part of and how what might we improve it and therefore improve the outcomes for everybody. And, and that's what my grandma would do with her stories. She would tell you stories, go all around Robin Hood's barn. But when they got back, You had been transformed by that story. And that's what Mm. I hope to do for people with
0: this book. So amazing, dear brother. Your books are always remarkable. You write some of the most thought-provoking books, thought-provoking quotes of anyone alive, dear brother. I have so much respect for you, my friend. Very thankful for how intentional you are. Never forget, our people were always free. How can they get the book now?
1: Please go to your local independent bookstore, go on amazon.com. Whatever easiest for you, please download it. And I read the Audible. So if you prefer that, you can hear me read it to you.
0: Always a pleasure, dear brother. Look forward to having you back on the show.
1: All right, appreciate you, Dr. Richard. All
0: right. All right, there you have it. Make sure you get the book. Um, I'm getting it today. Don't forget, take care of yourself, take care of each other,
4: take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.